Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Heavenly Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We continue our quest for wisdom this morning as we make our way through the Splash Canyon, and it is a a wonderful change of scenery that reminds us exactly what is going on. It reminds us that life is going to be different sometimes. It reminds us that there are going to be changes sometimes, but there's one thing which never changes, and there's one truth which is always present. And Solomon lays it out for us this morning on page 556. He tells you and me, sin is universal. Which is not, I I promise you, it's not the most uplifting of messages to hear Solomon lay out to us in the text today and to read throughout the Bible how sin is universal. It's in my life, it's in your life, it's in little children's lives, it's in old people's lives. Sin is universal. Last week, we heard that there is one good king, Jesus. He is the one true king who will save us from everything. One good king, no others. And so if we try to compare other leaders, other pastors, other politicians, other parents to Jesus, they're always going to fall short. They're never going to be what we want them to be because we're comparing them to perfection. And that is the thread that continues through our message this morning. You see, Jesus himself said in our gospel text, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. The standard is perfection. God does not lower the standard in order to let us in. He doesn't lower the standard to to make sure we get a passing grade. He actually repeatedly raises the standard and makes it harder for us to live our lives according to the law. And so these are words to us to condemn us so that we would know completely that there is nothing we can do to save ourselves. But God through Christ Jesus, also gives these words to Jesus so that he can fulfill them. And so they are words to Jesus for us. They're not just words to condemn us. They're words that Jesus lives perfectly and hands his perfection to you and me. In our text this morning, Solomon starts off with a a very uh, bold phrase like he's done many times as we've been reading through his words in the past. He says, in my vain life, I have seen everything. And when you're young and you're really little and, and you haven't really seen too much of the world, you can't really make a statement like this. But Solomon, nearing the end of his life, there are no surprises for a man like Solomon who has had everything. The richest of the rich, the king of kings, he's the one who sat enthroned above all. He he has tasted and seen everything. We've seen that over the last few weeks. And he says he's seen it all. He shows us there's a righteous man, a good man, who perishes by being righteous. And there's a wicked man, an evil man, who prolongs his life in his evil doing. And he warns us, he says, be not overly righteous, 
Do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? But he also says, be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand. For the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. In this verse, the center of our of our passage today, surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? I turn my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters, he who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. See, this alone I found, that God has made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Have you seen any schemes? in your life recently? I mean, sometimes it's easy to see schemes uh, when you're a parent and you're looking down upon your children and they think, they think, they actually might know, they are convinced in their own lives that they are scheming in such a way that they will never get caught. And if you've ever been a child, which I know all of you have been children at one point, you probably had these schemes yourself, right? I know that I was a little boy once and, and might still be called a little boy by some of you, but I have run these schemes before. And I've been convinced that, that there is no way I'm going to get caught. Not this time. No, sir. And yet every single time I ran a scheme, I'm not joking, every single time I did something that I thought I was going to get away with, I was busted. Every single time. It was, it was tragic. You see, my sister, she would run scheme after scheme after scheme. And I was seven years younger. And I would see her as seven years older getting away with everything. And then the moment I try to do anything, it's like, Matthew? Yes, mother? Yes, dad? Busted. And and there are degrees to which we live this out in our lives right now, not even as children, but as grown adults, wherever we are in our station of life. We think that there's some scheme that we're going to get away with, that God's not going to recognize, that we will finally be able to do that thing that I know I probably shouldn't do, but I'm going to do it anyways. As if somehow God doesn't know. As if there's some secret that I can keep from the Almighty God who knows everything. 
God knows. You see, God made man upright. He set us into perfection. He observed that it was very good. And the first thing we did was scheme and think and try to get away with it. And we've been doing the same thing ever since. You look around this world right now, there are schemes going on we don't even know about. It's a vile and evil world outside the church. It's a vile and evil world inside the church. We just confessed our sins to God and each other and received from him forgiveness. And we needed it, and we will need it. And there's, there's not a day that's going to go by that we won't need it. We need it from the pastor who proclaims it to us. We need it from the meal which delivers it to us in the bread and the wine which are the very body and blood of Christ. We need it in all the ways God gives it to us. Martin Luther said about our text this morning that Solomon is teaching us how to have a peaceful heart amid the difficult and troublesome affairs of this world. Were you anxious? going to bed last night? Was there something that was keeping you awake? Were you anxious when you woke up this morning? Is there something on your to-do list today or this week or this month which is just occupying your mind? You know, I didn't really want to think about today, right? I didn't bring it up yet. Happy Father's Day to those of you who are fathers. I know all of us have fathers. And yet even in our earthly fathers, we don't see perfection. Maybe even if you yourself are a father, you look in the mirror and you ache because you wish you could be something different for your children, for your spouse. You wish you could be something more. You know, it was last night I was putting my kids to bed and we prayed for God's forgiveness, not just for them, but for me. And that's what we teach to our children. That's what we teach to the next generation. That's what we teach to ourselves, that we are not going to be perfect. And yet we don't let that fear paralyze us. We receive the forgiveness that God has given to us. Paul told us in Romans today, none is righteous. No, not one. He's quoting King David. King David, for for those that don't know, was Solomon's father who wrote the text of Ecclesiastes that we've been going through for the last several weeks. You see, King David knew that no one was righteous so clearly that he wrote this not once in the Psalms, but twice. The same words David put in Psalm 14 and in Psalm 53. He said, they have all turned aside. Together, they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. And this is true for you and me when we see evil 
everywhere we look, including when we look in the mirror. You see, every new thing we create has the potential to do good. But it also has the potential to harm. I'm a nerd. I love artificial intelligence. Even though I've seen every movie under the sun that has to deal with artificial intelligence and warns us over and over and over, don't do it, the robots will kill you. And still I'm intrigued. I've seen Terminator 2. I've seen Arnold Schwarzenegger come back from the future to save us from robots that want to kill us. And yet I'm still, I will read almost every article I can about this future where the machines are smarter than we are. Because they're going to make our lives better. Maybe. I watched a video this week and it showed an artificial intelligence drone that was flying around in China. And this drone was tasked with the responsibility of cleaning garbage off of the power lines that stretch for millions of miles in China. And what do you think this artificial intelligence drone that flew around had to do to clean off the garbage? Well, of course, it used its flamethrower And it shot flames at the garbage to burn off the trash from the power lines. The things which we create might come back to haunt us. You know, think about smartphones. Smartphones have a tremendous capacity for good. I'm running slides this morning from my smartphone. And yet at the same time, I saw a story the other day of a teacher who asked her students, what's something evil you see in the world? And these are young kids in kindergarten, first grade, and second grade. And the kids responded, I don't like my mom's smartphone because she's always looking at it. And that hit me in the heart. Am I paying more attention to a rectangle in my pocket than I am to my own children? We think about subdivisions, right? They're just wonderful places where tons of people can come to live at the same time. Just beautiful. Because you've got all of these families gathering in the same spot and it's going to change the way you live. That was the promise, right? And now what are subdivisions if not individual silos where as I'm driving home, I punch the button to open my garage and as I'm pulling into my garage, I push the button so that it closes right behind me so that I never have to see all these people who live around me. Do we, do we know our neighbors? Do we know the people who God has put directly into our lives? What about sports? Man, I love sports. I turned on the World Cup yesterday at 8 a.m. I had something to watch. It was phenomenal. 
teams fighting against one another, trying to show who's best. I love the competition, but even sports can be something which steal purpose away from our lives. I mean, you, you probably know someone or have struggled with this yourself that, that activities are scheduled whenever they want to be scheduled. And that if you want to be on the team, you got to go with whatever that means. You see, we see evil everywhere we look and in every new thing we create, there is a potential for that evil to take over. Did you know that at one time we didn't have mirrors and that someone had to create those? I mean, it seems so natural now. You get up in the morning and you you look at your face and you shudder and you try to change it. And you you trim your your beard or you shave your head or uh, you apply some, some makeup. You wipe away the sweat. And you, you look in the mirror, and, and it's, it's a good thing. You can see your, your pearly whites or your kind of yellows. Maybe you need to brush those. But this mirror, which was created to show us a reflection of ourselves, to be something uh, we could use as a tool, can also be something that turns against us. As we see not who God has made us to be, but we see who the world has accused us of being somebody less valuable, somebody without purpose, somebody without love. And we need to be reminded that there is love. Christ says, use the mirror to look inward. Use the mirror to look inside yourself. He says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Christ is calling us to confession. He is urging us to to remember who we are and the struggle we have. Paul says this in Romans 7, I don't understand my own actions, for I don't do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, the standard is perfection, and when we look in the mirror, we might not see it. And while these are God's words to us, they are also God's words to Jesus for us. The salvation that we seek in status or in looks or in possessions or in place, that is the status which is given to us by Jesus, who put on flesh, who walked this earth like we walk this earth, who went to the cross for you and me to take our imperfection from us, who died separated from God, yet who rose to assure you and me that there is life to come, that there is glorious life to come. We work in the grace which is given to us by Jesus. We try to do what is right. We live our lives as Solomon encourages us, knowing that when we fail and we confess, we have grace and forgiveness which is ours in Christ Jesus. 
and then we seek to do good in the lives of the world around us. Jeremiah was saying to the Jews when they lived in exile, which is probably starting to feel like what we're living in today as a people removed from society. Jeremiah said this, he said, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. By God's power, we truly can make the world around us a better place as we work and we trust in him to do what only he can do. Sin is universal, but we have a God who is greater than the universe because he created it. By Christ's blood, he redeemed it, and through the Holy Spirit, he has called you to live in it as his messengers of love and grace and forgiveness. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the forgiveness which you've given to us in Christ Jesus. That sin is universal. It is out there and it is also in here, in us. And yet you come to us through your Son to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You give us your love and you give us your peace. Heavenly Father, help us to live in that peace and to share your love with our family and our friends and everyone you would send our way. This we pray through the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen.